0: Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest continues with part eight of his teaching on the book of Ephesians. Well, we've been doing an exegetical study of the book of Ephesians. If you don't know what that $25 word means, I'll just let you know. It's more of a verse by verse study than a topical study, which is what I'm more used to. But the Lord lately has been leading me into exegetical teaching, which I think is very valuable, and I might add, very much fun. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So this morning is the book of Ephesians, part eight. By way of introduction, last week we covered the first part of Ephesians chapter five. Which basically exhorts believers not to walk in darkness, not to walk according to their former lifestyles, but to walk according to the light of God. To walk in the light of God. And then this morning we're going to talk about the last part of chapter 5, which talks about submission and Christian marriage. Amen. Hallelujah. How appropriate that Robert had a word for one of our couples that the Lord restored that we're talking about marriage this morning. I tell you what, the Holy Ghost knows what he is doing. Amen. Hallelujah. So I want to start right on in to Christian marriage with verse 21, Ephesians chapter 5. And this is sort of a transition verse because he's just been talking about don't walk in darkness, Christian, walk in the light. And then he sort of shifts the subject to the subject of submission. In verse 21, he said, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. He's exhorting the believers to submit themselves one to another in the fear of God. It's interesting to me that Paul introduces the topic of submission, which is controversial with some people, by reminding us that as true believers, we should submit first to one another in the fear of God. Amen? And since he jumps right into Christian marriage in the remaining verses, verses 22 through 33, it's hard to miss the point I believe that he's making. The point is that even in marriage, you may disagree with me and you're free to do so, the point is that even in marriage, husbands and wives should be willing to submit to one another in the fear of God. Amen. Also noteworthy in this verse, proper submission is done in the fear of God. So there's no scenario, even in marriage, which allows you to compel your spouse or anyone else to do something that is sinful or ungodly. That's not true authority. And you don't have to obey that kind of authority. The military parallel is when I was a military officer, we were taught that you were to obey all lawful orders. But if anyone said to you, I want you to take your men and I want you to kill all these women and children, you have the right to disobey what is considered to be an unlawful order. Amen. Hallelujah. So I just wanted to make that point. Submission is voluntary. Amen. It's a voluntary thing. So we must submit ourselves to God and submit ourselves to one another as a choice, not because we're forced to do so. Amen. Everybody got that? So when we read verse 22 and the rest of the verses which instruct wives to submit to their husbands, we should read it with the knowledge that there will be plenty of occasions where husbands will need to submit to their wives. Amen. Hallelujah i give you a fresh example. This morning, my wife told me at about 9.30, I want to move the microwave to the kids' church. I'm like, well, if that happens, I won't be able to heat up my coffee. You know? She says, I need it because we're making s'mores for the kids this morning. So you know what I did? I submitted to my wife. I said, okay, move it. If I need to heat up my coffee, I'll go into kids' church and do it. Amen. Just a minor example of this concept of submitting to one another. But then verse 22 says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. So if we're to be scripturally accurate here, it's clear that there's a greater degree of submission required of the wife than there is of the husband. Okay, Because there will be occasions where there will be disagreement, Uh, there will be gridlock. And someone's going to have to break the tie. And according to the word of God, that responsibility falls on the man, the husband. Amen? Having said that, all the women are like, having said that, let me tell you how I think husbands and wives should put this into practice and how my wife and I have evolved into putting this into practice. Because you know wives... You know, you bristle at the thought of submitting to your husband sometimes. You know, it's just a natural rebellious response. Amen? So, <laughs> so let me tell you how my wife and I do this and or strive to do this. We don't always get it right. But here, here's the bottom line. Here's the rule of thumb that I'd like to uh, put out to you this morning. If it's a decision that absolutely has to be made at a certain time, for whatever reason, and I think that is rarely the case, and you're not in agreement, then the wife should defer to her husband's judgment and be at peace with the decision that he makes. But if it's a matter of utmost importance, like a change of assignment, a major move, a major financial investment, starting a ministry, or choosing a new church, I believe that husbands and wives should be in agreement before they move forward with anything like that. Husbands, if you're convinced that you've heard from God, well, you need to trust in the ability of your wife to also hear from God. But when there's something major happening in your life and you can't afford to miss it, you want to be right, then trust that the other spouse will eventually see what you see. And if that doesn't happen, maybe you missed it. Maybe you didn't hear from the Lord. All right. Just going to let that hang in the air there. All right. So one more thing. If you look at this verse, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. So it's clear to me from the context that women are not. They're not commanded to submit to all men generically. Women, you are not. To submit to just any man. <laughs> you know, you submit to your own husband in the fear of God. Amen? Now, there's actually some denominations that sort of teach that, that women are, you know, sort of subservient to men generically. Well, I'm telling you right now, the Bible does not teach that. It says submit to your own husband. And even then, you're not supposed to do anything that's unlawful or sinful. And you're not to let him try and, you know, like one example is, and this is all too common in the body of Christ where the woman gets on fire for God and the man is just, you know, he's just a spiritual dud. You know what I'm saying? He just wants to fish and drink beer and he doesn't have any interest in church. And he says to his wife, this Sunday, I forbid you to go to church because the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. Guess what, wives? You get up on Sunday morning, you put your makeup on, you put your dress on, and you tell that man, I'm going to church. Because the Bible doesn't tell me I have to submit to you and do things that are ungodly. And not going to church is ungodly, so I'm not going to do it. My, my, my daughter says, you don't have to be country either. I just used a country voice as an example. Ha, <laughs> All right, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So concerning the husband being the head of the wife, I'd like to make a military analogy if you would allow me. I spent nine years in the Marine Corps, 21 years in the Air Force Reserve, retired at the rank of Lieutenant Colonel. So this is kind of fresh in my mind, so to speak. Um, I like to think about it like this. The general and the colonel in an army are equal in the eyes of God. And they both have a measure of authority. However, the general has the final authority when it comes to decisions that involve the colonel and the rest of the men under his command. Amen. Everybody see that? So the way I see it, this is sort of a militaristic way to look at it, you know, it's the same way with the family. The husband and wife are equal in the eyes of God. The husband is the head of the household. The wife has a rank slightly below him. And then the kids are under the authority of both the husband and the wife. Amen? That's the way it's supposed to work. All right, so the last part of the verse makes it clear that the husband is charged with physically protecting his wife as the savior of the body. Now, when you read that, it's not intuitively obvious. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. You know, a surface reading, you're so used to looking to Christ as your Savior, you think this is talking about Christ, the Savior of the body of Christ. But listen to it grammatically For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he, the husband, is the Savior of the body. Okay? That word there is not capitalized. Now, there's no capitalization in the Greek, but I think in this case, the translators got it right. It wasn't capitalized because they understood this to mean that the husband was charged with responsibility of physically protecting his wife. Amen? Somebody comes at your wife, husband, it's up to you to get in between your wife and that person. Danger comes towards your wife. It's up to you to put yourself in the face of the danger and put your wife behind you. It is your responsibility. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. I mean, I raised three daughters, and I had a house full of females for many, many years. And just the thought of somebody coming in and harming my wife or my daughters would get the Marine to come out of me real quickly, even though I was in ministry, you know? I would like you touch my daughters. You try to harm my daughters. And in the name of Jesus, I'm going to put some hurting on you. (laughs) Listen, that's godly. That is godly. You know, there's nothing evil about that. Protecting your own, protecting your wife and your children is a godly thing. And husbands, it's part of your responsibility. All right. Amen. Verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Again, Paul repeats and emphasizes the concept that wives are to submit to their own husbands, not to all men generically. All the women say amen. (laughs) And by the way, let me mention this. There is a teaching that the husband is supposed to be the high priest of the household. That sounds good, and I know what they're trying to say, but I don't believe that's exactly right. Now, hear me out. Yes, the husband is the head of the family, and yes, he should set a godly example for his wife and kids to follow, but Galatians 3.28 says, There is no male or female in Christ. We are all equal. Therefore, we all have access, both husbands and wives, to the Father God, through our high priest Jesus Christ, without any other mediator. So I would say I understand what people are trying to say, but technically it's not the case that the husband is the high priest of the home. I do believe he should set the example as the head of the house on how to live a godly life for his wife and kids to follow. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I'm telling you what, if you just do a surface reading of that verse, you're going to miss something very, very powerful. Let me read that to you again. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Amen. Jesus loved us with such an intensity that he endured torture and death so that we might live. He took all the sin and sickness and disease and poverty of the world on himself, something he had been totally unfamiliar with when he was the Word of God, yet he was willing to do all that just so that one of us might be saved. Amen. You need to have the same attitude towards your wife. You need to be willing to give your life literally And figuratively to save your wife. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Husbands, do you love your wife like that? Would you be willing to give your life so that your wife and kids would survive? That's the kind of love that's being talked about right here. So the next time you get all high and mighty and say, well, I've got the authority in this family. Remember. Remember the quote from Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. Amen. Listen, you've been given authority, but with that authority comes great responsibility. And one of those responsibilities is being willing to give your life for your wife. To be like Jesus in that respect. Amen. Glory to God. Woo. Whoo. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 26. He gave his life for the church that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Glory to God. I believe one of the main ways we can give our lives figuratively for our wives is to speak and pray the word of God over them continually. Husbands, sanctify And set apart your wife by speaking the word and praying over her. And make sure that plenty of times you speak the word over her where she can hear it. You're a wonderful woman of God. You're a mighty woman of God. You're a Proverbs 31 woman. And I really want to let you know how much I appreciate that. I just love the way you take care of me even though I'm a grown man. Say things to lift up and sanctify and set apart your wife. Make her feel like the glorious woman that God has called her to be. Amen. Hallelujah. You probably never heard it preached like this before, but you're going to hear it this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 27. That he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Again, I say husbands should constantly be declaring over their wives that they are becoming the glorious woman that God destined them to be. Amen. Even if you don't see it in the natural, you can call those things that be not as though they were and declare those things over your wife. My wife is a nag with a capital N. Well, don't say that. Say my wife lovingly suggests that I do things differently because she's a wonderful woman of God. Hallelujah. Verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. Now that's a mouthful, and I'm going to break it down as best I can. This is what it spoke to me, and I want to share it with you this morning. Verses 28 through 30 say that men ought to love their wives like their own body, much like Jesus is the head and loves all believers because they are a part of His body. So husbands, you should care for her body, your wife, as much as you care for your own body because she is a part of you. Did you get that? Now verse 31 is a fascinating verse. It's actually a prophecy that was first spoken by Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. He's the one who said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. He took one look at Eve, who was beautiful and naked, by the way, and he said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. Amen. You know how the word woman came into existence, right? Eve was presented to Adam, and he went, whoa, man. God said, that'll work. Whoa, man. That's old, but some of you evidently haven't heard that. Hallelujah. I think it's amazing that Adam prophesied that. Jesus repeated it in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, and now Paul repeats it in the letter of the Ephesians. But Adam was the first one who said that. He said, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother before there was such a thing as a father and mother. I tell you what, that's prophetic, you know. Amen. Glory to God. All right. Praise the Lord. So once again, if the husband and wife are one flesh, then the wife's body is also his body, and his body is also hers. And lately I've begun to extend this concept and i begin to pray over my wife's body against sickness and disease from the perspective of her body is part of my body so when i confess healing over my body i also confess it over her body cuz she's part of me her body's part of my body and my body's part of her body anybody ever think about praying like that i tell you what it's powerful amen glory to god hallelujah i tell you there's a lot of mysteries that we don't understand in the marriage relationship. One day we'll understand just how valuable marriage is. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 32. This is a great mystery, which I just said, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Now, I think that the traditional interpretation of this verse is about as accurate as any I've heard put it to you this way. The unity that results when a man and a woman are joined together in marriage is a model of the mystical union between Christ and the church. Now we don't understand everything about how we're all connected together and connected to Jesus and the Father through the Holy Spirit. You know, we can sort of understand that in broad terms, but we don't understand the intricacies of that. We don't really understand it. Uh, There are mysteries that We may never completely understand, but the Bible says the closest thing to that is the marriage between a man and a woman. If you want to get an initial understanding, a basic understanding of Christ and the church and how they're connected and how they're one, look to the marriage relationship because that's the greatest example of unity on planet Earth. A man and woman unified spirit, soul, and body is a picture of Christ and the church. And it takes some of, but not all of, the mystery out of that. Glory to God. Verse 33, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wives see that she reverence her husband. That word there actually is respect. Okay? Here again, if we're not careful, we can miss the impact of this verse or verses like this with just a surface reading. So I'm going to read it again. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. That's emphasizing what we've been talking about. She is a part of you. So love her as if she's a part of you. And the wives see that she respect her husband. So husbands are exhorted to love their wives and wives are exhorted to respect their husband. Why the difference? Well, women have a a very intense emotional need to feel loved, and they derive security from being loved completely in a relationship. Women care about relationships. If something's wrong in their relationship, it's not going to be right in the woman's psyche, okay, because that's where she derives comfort and security, amen? Amen. All right. Men, on the other hand, we also want love. But more than that, men crave respect. Men want to be respected. They want to be respected by their peers. And even more, they want to be respected by their spouse. Okay, of course, everybody says, well, you know. Men are supposed to love their wives, but women are only required to respect their husband. Well, listen. If a marriage between a man and a woman is a picture of Christ in the church, well, then women are required to love their husbands like the church loves Christ. So it's not an out for you, okay? I just closed the loophole there. you got to love and respect your husband, wives. Amen. Love without respect, let me say this again, is not something that men can tolerate very easily. If a man comes home from work where he's been respected, and I can personally vouch for this, where people saluted me and called me sir, and then I come home and my wife's got a list of failings, of things that I forgot to do, there's a discontinuity that's very difficult for a man to handle. Okay? So I would exhort you women to find a more loving way to let the man know there are things that need to get done that haven't got done or whatever. Be careful about how you speak of your husband, okay? Hallelujah. All right. Conversely, if a man constantly berates his wife for her failings, she's not going to feel loved, and she's not going to feel secure in that relationship. Again, I say, find a positive, loving way to speak to your husband's failings, a husband's, Find a loving way to speak to your wife's feelings, okay? You know, just don't hammer them because they can't handle it. (laughs) And neither can we. We want to be respected, amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. I hope you're getting this. Just like the husband should be praying over and speaking the word of God over his wife continually, listen, wives, you should be doing the same thing over your husband. My husband's a mighty man of God. You know, he's got some flaws, but he's working on them. And the power of Christ will enable him to overcome them. He will become the mighty man of God that God called him to be. Say things like that over him in your private prayer time, but also make sure you say it loud enough sometimes for him to hear because he needs that respect. Amen. He needs your love, but he needs your respect. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. One more thing before we move on from this last verse. Husbands, don't denigrate your wife in public. It is humiliating to them. And be careful what you say and how you say it. Because I've said some things over dinner with other people that I thought was just a big laugh and a joke. And got home and the wife says, I was totally humiliated when you said that. So be careful what you say over your wife in public, okay? It cuts both ways, husbands and wives, amen. Are you getting what I'm saying here? All right, praise the Lord. So as we conclude chapter five of the book of Ephesians, I want to shift the discussion to something that I call the value of marriage. This is something that the Lord spoke to my heart several years ago, and he told me, I want you and your wife in your church to contend for strong marriages in the church because marriage is under attack in America, especially in the church. And so the Lord uh, showed me in a very, very dynamic way the value of marriage. Amen. Uh, I want to share an encounter I had with the Lord Jesus at our home in Bossier City, Louisiana, May thirteenth, two 2014, in the southeast bedroom of 9307 Belden Drive. If you've ever heard Brother Kenneth E. Hagin talk about his visions, he always anchors his vision geographically and chronologically. So I just did the same thing in honor of him. Amen. All right. So we're in Louisiana, and this is a time when the Lord was dealing with us about returning to our spiritual roots and coming back to North Carolina, to our home state and pastoring in the state of North Carolina And I'm telling you, it wasn't something that either of us were thrilled about. We had a pretty good gig in Louisiana for the last 10 years. uh, We had headed up a two-year Bible school. I was a professor at Louisiana Tech University. I did both jobs. I was the head of the Bible school. I was the head of a technology center for Louisiana Tech University pulling down six-figure salary, so we were pretty comfortable. And when the Lord said, I want you to move to North Carolina and pastor for peanuts, we were not thrilled about the prospect. I'm just being totally honest with you, you know. You know, it had been a while since we took that kind of step of faith where it ain't going to happen unless you trust God. You know, God's asking you to do something that will not succeed if he doesn't get directly involved. And at first, we weren't thrilled about doing that. Okay, then we quietly submitted to the Lord and said, "Lord, if you want us to pastor in North Carolina, so be it. We're willing. We'll go." All right. So shortly after we came to terms with that, I was laying in the bed at 6 a.m. on the morning I described earlier, and all of a sudden, you know, I was awake. It was about 6 a.m., and uh, the light from the sun was just starting to come into our our back window there in the uh, bedroom. And all of a sudden, the door swung open, and I was in a vision, and, and the Lord walked through. He had on this uh, white robe with a tan, interwoven uh, shawl, and it was just really cool looking. I remember thinking, man, that's cool looking, you know. And his hair was about shoulder length. He was about five 5'10". Um, his eyes, if I had to guess, were either blue or hazel, and his hair was kind of brown and curly. Anyway, he had... A little bulldog puppy he was holding in his arms, which immediately got my attention. As he drew to the foot of the bed, my eyes locked on that bulldog. And I'm like, what is up with that? He took the bulldog puppy, which was white with large brown spots, and he put the puppy on the bed in between my wife and man, my feet. And the little puppy just did one of these curl-up 180s, and, and he was sleeping. And so the Lord began to speak to me. He said, you're about to enter a season which is going to test your marriage. And the enemy's going to use this season change to try and drive a wedge between you and your wife. Don't let that happen. He pointed at me. And he said, because your marriage is the most valuable thing, you have on planet earth you fight for it you contend for it you value it and short and sweet I came out of the vision and the first thing I looked for was to see if the puppy was left behind but he wasn't so then you know I've kind of got an analytical mind too, even though I'm spirit-filled I'm like okay Lord I got two questions Number one, have you ever used props in a vision to anybody else? Number two, if so, why a bulldog puppy? You know, so I meditated on this vision for about a week and then it came to me. First of all, the Lord led me to Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. The preceding verses say that Jesus was standing when he appeared to John in the revelation. He was standing in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. He was standing in front of, if you study it out, in the middle of this candelabra behind him. And he had seven stars in his hand. And he said to him in Revelation 120, let me read it to you because I don't want to mess it up. He explained to John what the symbols meant. He says, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. So that was answered to my number one question. Yes, the Lord has in at least one incident that I'm familiar with. He used props in a vision that he gave to someone else. So said number one. How about number two, why a bulldog? And when I asked the question, it came to me. The Lord said, what do puppies need most? I said, puppies need constant care and affection. He said, so does your marriage. And then he said, what are bulldogs known for? I said, their tenacity. He said, you need to fight for your marriage with the tenacity of a bulldog. And I just said, thank you, Jesus. You've got numerous ways that you can speak to us. And this is probably the most unusual vision I've ever had, but I was thanking him for it. And I'm telling you, it's good that the Lord warned me and prepared me to fight and contend for our marriage, because that year from 2014 to 2015 that brought us here to North Carolina was very tempestuous And it did try and drive a wedge between me and my wife, but we were prepared and we stood against it and we survived it. And this church is in existence because we stood for our marriage. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So why is your marriage so valuable? Why is it worth fighting for? Well, number one, there's a lot of reasons, but I come up with two of my top reasons. Number one, as we've already seen in the scripture, marriage is a picture of the mystical union of Christ and the church. Amen. If you're married and you're believers, your marriage is intended to be a statement to the world of what God is like. It's meant to be a picture that the world can see of the unity and intimacy that is possible between Christ and the church. Amen. The love, the mercy, the power and the glory of your relationship should be on display in a godly marriage for all the world to see. This is why the enemy is attacking marriage so viciously now, because it is a picture of Christ in the church. And I say to you again, I've said this many times, but I can't get away from this. If the marriage between a man and a woman is a picture of Christ in the church, then what, pray tell, is the marriage of a man and a man a picture of? Or a woman and a woman a picture of? I can tell you right now, it's not anything godly. All right. Number two reason that your marriage is valuable. Like I said, there's more reasons, but these are my top two. Number one, you are a picture of God to the world. Number two. There is power in agreement, especially between a man and his wife. Let me say that again. There is power in agreement, especially between a man and his wife. Matthew 18, verse 18 and 19 in the King James Version says, Jesus speaking here, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Over there in Matthew 16 He says essentially the same thing. He says, I give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind shall be bound and whatever you loose shall be loosed. But here in Matthew 18, he says, again, I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my father, which is in heaven. There is power in agreement. Hear me out. If there's that kind of power between just Random believers. How much more power is there between a man and his wife who are one spirit, soul, and body? There is special power available in the prayer of agreement between a man and his wife. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Coming together in physical unity births natural things. Children, offspring, who in turn... uh, Produce more offspring generation to generation. But listen, husbands and wives can also birth things in the spirit, dreams, visions, exploits, purposes of God for your life, which will have impact from generation to generation. Amen. I think this is such an untapped power source that it grieves the heart of God because I can tell you from experience that I know Christian couples. I even know couples that are in full time ministry and they're not praying together as much as they should. They're not praying the prayer of agreement as much as they should. So listen. Don't be that couple. Use the power that you have, the power of agreement. Pray down heaven and earth. Amen. Pray in the visions that God has given unto you. Pray in the dreams that God has given unto you. Pray over one another that you both become the man and woman of God that God has called you to be. And there is power in that kind of prayer between a man and his wife. Listen, my wife and I, when when Thomas and Steph's marriage was... was on the rocks. God spoke to us and said, you are the primary couple that's going to have to contend for this marriage. Do not let this one slip through your fingers. And we didn't. We contended. We prayed almost every night. We prayed the prayer of agreement. We said, thank you, Lord. You have loosed the lawful captive and you have brought my child back to God and you have restored this marriage in Jesus name. We prayed that over and over and over again we spoke over them for over a year we would not let loose of their marriage now i know and i thank all of you that were praying also there was more than just me and my wife praying but we were the lead couple and we did not drop the ball and now they're back together and they're like silly newlyweds like nothing ever happened Glory to God. Amen. All right, again, I say it's been my observation that Christian couples do not pray together as man and wife as much as they should, including those that are in full-time ministry. Listen, don't let that untapped power go unused. Resolve this morning that if that's you, if I'm speaking to you, you're going to change that in your life starting this morning. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed Part 8 of Dr. Forrest's teaching on The Book of Ephesians. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship, 10.30 for worship and service, and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for spirit-filled prayer. If you would like to learn more about us, Access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings and find Dr. Forrest's in-depth teaching notes, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Life Wilmington.